0: Back about two or three or four months, I don't even remember, back some months ago, congregation asked, back West Main, asked if I would give one of the lessons on the quarter that they have here pertaining to Christianity. And the topic I was asked to, to give was answering a question, what it means to be a Christian. And earlier this week, I polled my family, asked the girls, asked Dane, asked Julie, what does it mean to be a Christian? And I asked each individual, they gave me, their, in their own words, what they thought that meant. Decided to go on Facebook and ask that question, didn't qualify it, didn't do any kind of, um, okay, please answer this. I just wanted to see what the reaction was going to be. And interestingly enough, I've got eight different answers. But all those answers, in their own ways, express some very fundamental things because Many people, when, when you ask questions like that, it's interesting. You might get all kinds of descriptions, whether they be short or long and what have you. But the thing is that no matter how many people answer these questions, there are some similarities within those answers. Kind of like when, when I emailed Steve and asked him about leading the song this morning that, you know, he wrote back and said follow Christ. Very short, very succinct, and that's true. That is what it means to be a Christian. And so when we look at these things, there are at least three qualities in my mind that I see as very inherent along the lines of following Christ. But when we look at these things, I want you to understand that the totality of Christianity is going to be found in these three qualities. And you're going to see it from the very moment you become one in Christ Jesus until the very last breath you'll take. And I believe that total entity is what it means to be a Christian. And the first thing that you're going to have to realize within these qualities is that you need Christ. You need a Savior. That's what it means to be a Christian, that you come to this realization that you needed the Christ, the anointed one, the one who's going to come and save you from your sins. The next is that when we are living our life, we're going to follow him. And the last, and that's where I believe the song that that we just uh, sang, as Steve led us, when we say, oh, to be like thee, is that very glorious state that we can go to be like him, to be with him. But before we do that, we're going to have to leave this world. And the way in which we live this world is going to be typified in how we live in this world. And that means that we daily put to death that fleshly man the way our Savior put that man of flesh to death. And that's what it means to be a Christian. And so, this morning, we're going to look at what that means. And and the first thing that we need to realize, and this is for every single person, and I want to even say this for our young children that are growing up and have parents teaching them about being a Christian. The first thing every one of us needs to realize is that we need a Savior. We need Jesus Christ. Some people just have this mentality that, well, we've got to get those things right, right? You've got to hear, and then you've got to believe, and then you've got to confess, and then you repent, and you've got, okay, now I know these things. I can be a Christian. That's just so mechanical. There's nothing wrong in any of those things. Those are all true, and that's part of the doctrine of Christ. But the thing is, if you miss this, you miss everything else. You need Christ. It's not a matter of just simply doing His will, it's that you need Him as your Savior, because you're lost without Him. That's the first and foremost thing that we have got to realize if we're going to understand what it means to be a Christian. So the first thing is, if we're going to realize being a Savior, is that within that word Christian is the very root of that word, and that's Christ Himself. That's what it means to be a Christian, is that we have a Savior and we need Him. And so basically, we're looking at it from a standpoint that says, before I am in Christ, before I am a Christian, I need Christ. I need the very one that God sent into this world to die for our sins. And so when you open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1, notice when Paul writes to the saints there, he reminds them of what God's plan had been from before the beginning, before the foundation of this world. Notice how he writes this. It's very beautiful. In him, that is, in Christ, in our Savior, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. That's what we have. God's plan from before the foundation of this world that through his blood, we would be redeemed. The forgiveness of sins. You know, why is it that, that every one of us in this room did not obey the gospel, if we had heard it prior to obeying the gospel, did not obey it any sooner? Let me rephrase it. If i were to ask you, how many of you, when you heard the gospel message, were like those on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 that first they heard that gospel message that was presented by Peter and the other apostles, you just listened to those words and it convicted your heart and you obeyed that gospel call. I venture to say that today very, very few here on that first occasion that do that. Well, there are those that are out there that do. I've I've known a number of them. But many of my brothers and sisters in Christ probably at some time heard it Maybe you heard it 10 times, 20, 30, some hundreds of times before they came to this need. I need a Savior. That right now I am absolutely lost in my sin. What was I thinking all these months and years? Not turning to the Lord. And finally do. They come to a realization that Jesus died. And you know what? It's not about, as I would think, and some think this way. If I do it, everyone thinks that I'm just following in everyone else's footsteps, uh, which is what you are doing, by the way, because everyone else has done it that has become a Christian. You, You are following in those footsteps in like fashion. But your reason should be because you need a Savior. And those who believe then that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Son of God, turn to Him. If you'll notice, I'm going to John chapter 4. Remember John chapter 4? Jesus is speaking to that Samaritan woman. A woman, speaking to a woman, not a Jew, by the way. And he tells her of, his, of her life and a relationship that she had with her previous husbands. And when she perceives that this man, speaking with great authority and great insight of her own life, must be a prophet. To, you know, I've been looking for the Messiah. I've been waiting for the Messiah. He says to her in verse 25, the person you're looking for, that's me. After his story and discussion with her, she goes back to the village, tells all the people in the village, and guess what they do? They listen to this woman. I stress the fact of women because women just didn't have authority. But they listened to what she had to say, and they believed, so that when Jesus spoke to them, they believed that he was the very Christ that they were longing for and looking for of whom they could not really have that kind of close relationship with the Jews because of their ongoing warring between them. But when they heard that Jesus was in their town, was in their midst, and invited Him into their homes, He let them know who He was, and they had believed. They were looking for this promised salvation that, that God had made some centuries before. The thing is, That Jesus didn't proclaim himself as a Savior. This morning in our Bible class, we just started, right, this quarter, about looking at different cults. Jesus never professed himself to be a Savior, but be Saviour. And I stress that, and yes, you know, if you want to get real technical, you can find in your Bible translations, like the New American, uh, the New American not the American, New King James translation, and you will look for a phrase, a Savior. So you can find the letter A, and or the word, and then the word Savior. See, it says a Savior in the Bible, that a Savior has come into this world. Contextually, we're talking about the Savior coming into this world because of what Jesus taught. Because of the way he lived with great authority. And because of what the scriptures reveal about him. That he is God. As John 1 verse 1 tells us. And that he came as flesh into this world. Taking on the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of man. John chapter 1 verse 14. Lived among us, And Philippians 2 verse 5 following. Died in the likeness of a man, in full obedience to his Father. That's who came to this world. He did so with this message, that I am the way, Jesus said. I am the truth, and I am the life. And when he made this message, in various ways he would state it as the Son of Man, as the Son of God, as the Christ when he was specifically asked by the Sanhedrin before he was crucified. He agreed. Acknowledged that he is the Savior, the Christ, the anointed one of, of God. The very one that was mentioned was we representing the Lord's Supper in Acts chapter 2. That's who we need. And just as the Samaritans listen and believe that Jesus is the Savior of this world, that's what we need to believe. It's not just a good thing good Teaching, and it's just not one. Well, it's Christ. this is the core. Just as Steve in, in the song meeting that he was talking about the, these two pillars regarding the death and the resurrection. Well, that's what we believe in. But that death and resurrection is only because we believe him to be the Savior. Otherwise, that death means nothing to us. But tied in with that resurrection is this belief that Jesus came into this world to die for us. And that's who we need then as our Savior. And so when, when we're asked the question, you know, who do you think Jesus is? Is He just a man? Was He a great prophet? Was He a master teacher? Well, He was all of those things and so much more. He's the reason why we're here this morning. He's the, re- he's the reason why you can have hope that when you die... You'll live. In other words, you'll just go to sleep. That's because of that need. And we need to have that. But here's the the whole crux right here in this last part of this lesson. It doesn't matter if you just believe that He's the Savior of the world. Scripture says that even demons believe. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works, James says. We need to follow our Saviour. Isn't that what Jesus taught? If you go back to Luke chapter 9, before we look at some of these other texts, notice what he went on to say from that passage. We're reading from verses 18 and following, but notice verse 22 following. Luke chapter 9, it says this. Verse 23, excuse me. He says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's after he said, you know, who do men say that I am? Oh, well, some say that you are Elijah. Others say you're one of the old prophets or John the Baptist. He said, no, all right, who do you say I am? Well, you're the Christ. Well, if you believe me, be the Christ, here's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised again on the third day. Now, if you want to be my disciple, you can follow me. The way you follow me is you take your cross and you take it every day and you follow me in that same regard. We're going to have to understand that if we're going to be genuine Christians, we're talking about following Christ. And following Christ, brethren, is not simply coming to church. And I made that mention, I think, a week or two ago. Our lives every single day will manifest whether or not we're following Christ. When we look at what He did and we look at our lives, are we following in His footsteps? That's what we need to do. That's exactly what His disciples did in the first century. Many of the very ones, like Peter himself, that would look at Christ from afar and see Him as He's being tried and charged and then sent off to be crucified, they denied Him. Even when they asked Him, well, are you with Are you with Jesus? Don't even know the man. We need to follow after Him. We need to be bold. You see, Peter, after Jesus rose from the dead, understood all that Jesus was saying. It's like coming to light, so to speak, and realized that He is, in fact, the very Christ that He had said earlier that He was, and now was with boldness proclaiming Him to be such. Now, that's exactly... What we need to do, we need to boldly proclaim before those in this world that He is the Christ, not just one way of salvation. He's the only way of salvation. And we need to live that as He did. I was mentioning in Philippians chapter 2, I want you to look at this text here because if we're going to take up our cross and follow after Him, we're going to be persecuted from all kinds of different angles. But notice what's being said here. I'm going to go from verses 5 through 8, and then I'm going to back up from verses 1 through 4, and then make the point. In Philippians chapter 2, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. Taking the form of a bondservant, a lifelong servant to his father. Coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance, verse 8, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. Now, understand that Jesus lived his whole life in obedience to his Father in heaven into the point of dying. And of course, a sacrificial death. Well, what are we supposed to be like if we're gonna take up our cross and follow him? Well, notice what he says earlier. Paul, when speaking to the church at Philippi, was talking about them having one mind, being of one mind, being one body, not divided. And he says to them in verse 1, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if there is any comfort of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there is any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Have the same love. Be of one accord of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests but for the interests of others. Now you consider that Jesus went to a Samaritan of course he had to go to Samaria first, right? and he knew what was there. Most Jews skirted around Samaria. If they wanted to get to Jerusalem from up north. Jesus was right there. And he spoke to them. He wanted them to hear of the kingdom. When we look at making our footsteps in the same fashion as our Savior, we'll go to people that others won't, if we're truly a Christian. We're not going to be worried about whether someone is black Or if someone is Oriental, or if someone is Polynesian, or if someone's white, we're going to see a precious soul. And when we look at those precious souls and we talk to them, they may not like the message that we have, they may not like the bias that we give. The bias that Jesus is the only way. Some will not accept that. And you will be hated for it. But that's what he did. I mean, Jesus was hated for a number of reasons. He had dinner with tax collectors. Let someone, according to tradition, possibly guilty of prostitution, come and anoint his hair, as is argued by some. Whatever the situation was, he mingled with the sinners. And he was an equal opportunity life giver, if you will. And we follow in the footsteps. And so when we look at a passage like Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 39, after that lawyer asked him, you know, what is the great commandment? Went, what's your reading of the law? He said, to love your neighbor, I mean, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. You know the law you know, knowing that and actually living it, two different things. But when we follow in the footsteps of our Savior, if we're going to take up our cross daily, then what we're going to see is a lifestyle. In a similar manner, that everyone sees the love that we have for our God in us. And how we're willing to live our lives for His glory. And we're going to see that very love that we have for our God, and we're going to be very consistent in that we'll show that love for man, our neighbor. There are many that so easy to talk, bitch. We can have Bible studies and all shake our heads up and down. Yeah, that's what we need to do. And then go out and live just the very opposite of this. If we do that, we don't know what it means to be a Christian. But if we are faithfully serving the Lord, then we're going to follow in that that footstep. And so that is why in Acts chapter 11, when you read verses 19 through 26, and particularly verse 26, remember... The, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch? How would they know that? How, how would they be labeled as such? Well, once you to know from the standpoint of a Jew, looking at a fellow Jew who believed in Jesus as the Christ, eventually it was not just a sect of Judaism, but a completely different faith. That's why Jews hated their counterparts who believed in Jesus as the Christ. And that's why you have a passage like Acts chapter 8 verse 1 following where the church is being scattered abroad and they went everywhere preaching the word because of the persecution that was in Jerusalem. And that even when they went out and preached the word, not only were Jews, their own brethren in the flesh, persecuting them, but even the Gentiles began persecuting them. Until such a great persecution arose in the church, that you have a book like the book of Revelation, or that letter written to the saints who are being persecuted. There was a distinction about these individuals who believed that Jesus was the Christ and that they were willing to go to their death. They proclaimed it as such. That's what we see. And ultimately, that's what we're talking about. Ultimately, we are talking about that being a Christian means that every single day we put to death this man of sin. That's why you'll have various passages in the Scriptures that bring this point out. Now, I want you to stop right here, and we'll quickly go through what it's like from the time you obey the gospel to your dying day, from a doctrinal standpoint. You see, when Paul was reminding the saints about their being one in Christ, he takes them to the very beginning when they were baptized into Christ. Notice that from the very moment that they believed Jesus to be the Christ and were willing to become disciples of His, they were baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins, right? So that when they went down into the water, they came up out of the water to walk in the newness of life. Do you not know that their, their burial and resurrection was in the very likeness of our Savior? That's what they're saying, that I'm going to live my life the way Christ died. And that was just the very beginning. See, baptism, you're not just going down and up in water. And it's not just a symbol of his death. It's also a reflection of what you are doing from the beginning of your walk in the Lord. And that's your death. Daily dying. Daily taking your cross. That's why you have a passage like Romans chapter 12, when you read the first couple of verses. that says, I beseech you by the living mercies of God that you present in your bodies a worthy or as it says there, living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. What we have is, <laughs> excuse me, a walk that every single day we're putting to death that man of, of sin. And it is an effort, isn't it? It's for me. But that's why we can have these kinds of passages like Luke chapter 9 in verse 23 through 25 about taking up our cross. If we're going to follow our Savior, if we're going to be a disciple of His, if we're going to be a Christian, if you will, then every day we die. Brethren, how often do we think that way? How often do we make decisions with this mindset? Instead of filling our bellies with all our craves, I can pray this, that, whatever, all, anything to fulfill the flesh so that I can have, quote-unquote, fun, enjoyment, comfort. And that's not the picture that I see. The comfort I see in Scripture is the comfort that's found in Christ, not in things. Brethren, we're still learning how to be Christians, in other words, because we still need to put off that, that man of flesh. And when our days are spent trying to to put that man of sin away and to live to the glory of God, it's emulating him. And what he did was, he knocked in everyone's door saying, Listen, I'm here. I'm your Savior. Do you want me? My burden is, is easy. My yoke is easy, if you will. Can I come into your life? And if we're following in his footsteps, we're doing the same thing. We're talking to our family, we're talking to our neighbors, our co-workers about Jesus Christ. You know what I get today? It's like, well, everyone knows who Jesus Christ is. And we're in the Bible Belt. (laughs) I understand. There are many people in the Bible Belt that don't know who Jesus Christ is. They heard His name. They hear all the TV evangelists and what they have to say, but they don't know Him. Brethren, let me make it very clear. We are living in such a time that it's almost full circle. (laughs) All we do is we know the name. We don't know who he is. And there are so many people hungering. If we simply are able to follow in our footsteps and take up our cross daily and, and reach those who are in this world. That's how we follow our Savior. And we do that by putting that man of sin to death every single day. And when we do that, we can, in fact, serve the Lord in this regard. And so, to finish that, that illustration in, in this final moment, we go from being in Christ when we're baptized into Christ after we believe that He is the Savior, to living on our daily walk in Christ. That it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, Galatians 2.20. That we can see that from that moment of baptism, that answer of good conscience, if you will, that every single day we live this way until our last breath. And our last breath is one where we die in the Lord. And when we die in the Lord, guess what? Now we get to really live. Isn't that what Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 said? That after Jesus. Had been fully obedient to death, his father exalted him to his right hand. Aren't we told that we're going to reign with Christ? Is that just a bunch of words, or do you really believe that we are going to reign with him? That we're going to be raised up with a new body, if you will. One that is glorious, one that is eternal, one that never has these aches and pains or suffers in any which way, but that we can be with him forever. Well, that's because you believe that you needed him because you were lost in your sins. And before you believe that, there's no need or desire on your part, or mine, for that matter, to ever come to the Savior. But I want you to know that if you're not a Christian, and you're at the point where you believe you need a Savior, then you'll be here when we ask for you to come forward. Or you'll do it sometime soon, very soon. But if you don't need Him, you're not going to take that step. There's no need. And you're not going to walk that walk because you're not that convicted. But if you are, then I want you to know that He calls you right now to His side. He calls you to be His disciple. He calls you to be a Christian. And the last thought I want to share before we finish is the fact that, and I, I brought this out in an article this morning, Is that just because you're Christian and you fail does not make you a hypocrite. I hear that so often. I hear it from people in the world that says, well, you, you Christians, you're a bunch of hypocrites because you steal and you lie, and you cheat. And you know what? That person is correct. Christians have been guilty of those things, right? But it's not a lifestyle. Hopefully we never do any of those things, but I've known of Christians. I've known of elders who have. I've known of gospel preachers who have. I've known of brethren with high report and standing among saints who have done all these immoral things as and while being a Christian but not living like that. Being a Christian means you need a Savior, and even after you're a Christian, you're going to struggle with the flesh. That's why you need Him to begin with. But when you're in Christ, you strive to live for His glory, to the glory of your Father in heaven. And I want those of you who are not Christians to understand that. It doesn't mean that you are perfect, It means you're perfected. And it means that you follow in the footsteps of your Savior. The one who died for you and who died for me. And so you treat me with great, great preciousness in your sight. Because that's the way the Lord treated me. That's the way the Lord views me. And I do the same for you. I treat you as great and dear and precious. That's how Christians live.